Hi everyone and welcome to East Redland Anglican for this second Sunday of Easter, the 24th of April 2022. Today we're exploring the Gospel of John chapter 20 verses 19 to 31 where we have the disciples behind closed doors and the beginnings of those post-resurrection experiences of Jesus. In the second half of the reading we hear about uh, Doubting Thomas uh, someone who's been forever labelled as Doubting Thomas because he asked the questions that we all ask as to the truth or the reality of uh, the resurrection. So sit back and enjoy today's sermon. The Lord be with you. And also the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John chapter 20 beginning at verse 19. Glory, Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hand and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you please be seated? Okie dokie, we're going to play a bit of a word game. Well, we're going to have a journey through some words anyway. So you just have to sort of let these words wash over you and let whatever comes to mind come to mind. So we're going to start with the word alkaligenes. And we're going to have bordetella. And klebsiella. And leuconostoc. And mycoplasma. And yersinia. Now, does any of that ring a bell to you? Well, they're all very familiar to me, and as you've discovered, they're not familiar to you. But I, I, I did wonder if Luke and, with Luke and Ostok in there whether that might have sounded like a Russian space program. But what if I said to you, food poisoning, whooping cough, various fermentation processes, leprosy, and plague? Would they sound more familiar? Yeah. 
Well, and they should do too. Um, Bordetella uh, is the bug for whooping cough. Um, Leuconostoc is part of the fermentation process for making things like sauerkraut, which is lovely. Um, gives it a lovely sour flavour. Uh, mycoplasma is connected with leprosy. Yersinia is the one that's connected with the bubonic plague. And things like Escherichia coli, which I didn't say, that would have given it away. And Klebsiella and Alkaligenes have connection with various sorts of food poisoning. So having said that, the penny starts to drop that these are bacterial names. Some of which I've had the pleasure to meet before. I've met things like E. coli before, that should sound familiar. I've met all sorts of things in uh, food labs, like salmonella and stuff like that. Some of them I've had a more intimate um, connection with, uh, other than just in the lab. But these are things we know about and are happy to hear their names and within the bounds of modern science, believe that they exist. I am sure that no one here has seen a bacteria. Would that be a fair thing to say? But you believe they exist. So what have I said to you? I will not believe that these sort of things exist unless you can show me and I can see bacteria with my own eyes. How would you do it? What things would you try to use in terms of what access would you have to try and prove it? And if you started to find really limited ways of doing that, would you start to doubt their existence because you couldn't prove it? And sadly, that seems to be the way the current conspiracy theories work with respect to COVID-19 and all sorts of stuff like that. And the reason is that the added bonus to these questions is that these little beasties are very small. They're we're only talking bacteria, I'm not going into viruses, but these are bacteria that are one to four millionths of a metre in size. Some of them are smaller than that. If you have a look at golden staff under the microscope, it's half of that again. So what we would have called 0.5 of a micron, which is a millionth of a metre. So they're very, very small. So how do we know that they exist? We can't see them without the aid of, of particular instruments. And if we can't see them, why do we accept their existence? A classic example of this problem uh, is seen in the, um, it's more of a Victorian era problem, but in pre-sewered Lon pre London and cholera. The belief in waterborne microorganisms that you couldn't see causing the problem was widely rejected in favour of the stinky miasma theory that people could see. Now, a miasma was this noxious form of a mist which supposedly emanated from rotten organic matter and was apparently responsible for carrying the diseases around. That was the prevailing theory. It was actually a guy called Dr John Snow who put the theory out there that cholera was actually a waterborne uh, organism. Uh, and it was, wasn't until like six or seven years after his, death that he, after his death that he was actually vindicated in that theory. Nevertheless, I suspect that most of us would still be happy to believe in their existence because of the volumes of scientific research and scientific evidence, but also due to the volumes of ads depicting products that will kill 99.9% .9 of anything and everything. It wasn't that long ago, the biggest problem we had was, you know, we could kill 99% of salmonella and E. coli. 
now it's all changed. You know, it kills 99%, 99.9% of COVID. So, you know, whatever it is, it, you know. In my previous career, though, I was fortunate to have used cutting-edge technology, well, cutting-edge for the early 90s anyway, but cutting-edge technology. And I can talk to the existence of these things with some confidence. Even so, most people haven't had that exposure, and yet they wouldn't doubt the existence of bacteria on the basis of being unable to see it. Now, all of that's a silly example, I guess, but that's kind of what we're dealing with in today's Gospel reading. Here we have poor old Thomas, destined forever to be remembered as Doubting Thomas. Of all the things that he might have done in his life, including his other appearances in the Gospel accounts, and we see Thomas, he calls the others to stay with Jesus as he, journey, as, as he journeys to Judea and almost certain death in order to see Lazarus. It's Thomas who owns up to his confusion at the Last Supper, telling Jesus, we don't know where you're going, we don't know the way. And yet above all of these things that Thomas did or might have done, he's remembered as the one who happened to be at a way at a critical time and who dared to ask the question, how do we know it's true? And it's a very good question. How do we know it's true? Thomas asks the question which, may, which many would ask of Jesus and the church today. I asked it many times before I finally acquiesced and went forward for formation. It's a perfectly human thing to ask. And in some respects, you can understand Thomas's reason for asking this. It says in the beginning of that Gospel reading that at this stage of the journey for the disciples, they're still hiding behind closed doors. And it said and the reason was for that, for fear of the Jews. I'm sure they were fearful of other people as well as. But it demonstrates that they were in fear and in hiding. So life was still very dangerous for them. So I can sympathise with Thomas and I can imagine Thomas saying, look, we've already risked so much. And before I go out and risk it all, including my life, I want to know that this is real. So until you can prove it by having him here so I can stick my pinkies in his wounds, you can just forget it. Now, Thomas could have seen the proof, if we use that sort of category, in the disciples themselves, who had a new story to share, a new narrative, and they'd been transformed from fear into rejoicing because of their encounter and experience of the risen Lord. So in a sense, what we're dealing with here is the difference between someone saying, I believe you, that is, I believe the validity of the information that you're talking about, and someone saying, I believe in you, that is, I trust you as a person and I believe because of that trust. And this is often the point where I think we get fixated in this sort of dichotomy between belief and unbelief, between faith and unfaith, if that's a word, between objectivity and subjectivity, between cold hard facts and the experience of the other. And, and the, the truth is that's the, that's the environment we live in. We live in a world of facts and objectivity. How many times do we hear politicians and also, it's a fact that, I love the quote, facts are like telescopes and wigs for gentlemen, a 17th century invention. 
Just because someone makes, says it's a fact, don't always make it so. We've had four years of that in the United States. And yet in truth, we have to ask the difficult question that Thomas asks because in some respects, Thomas was right in asking the question. Not because of his looking for solid facts about the resurrection or that <clears throat> he was looking for some nice, neat formula which explained what resurrection is. Rather, I think, in asking the question, he's seeking relationship and experience because this is where our journey towards understanding embarks from. And in recognising that, we need to ask ourselves, what's the core business of our ministry? What's the core business of the church? How do we respond to the person seeking proofs or formulas that they too might believe? How do we respond to the person seeking experience? Ask yourself the question. It's something to reflect on. And I asked this at the beginning, but if someone asked you to prove the existence of a bacteria, what would you appeal to? How would you do it? I mean, how many of you have access to microscopes? Or a lab where you can plate stuff out on agar and watch them grow? You know, there's not many people in our general environments that have access to it, so how would you do it? And the reality is you would appeal to narrative. You would appeal to the works of people who have gone before you. You would appeal to knowledge that's in the main. In, in the main. You would talk about your own experiences with things. They might be grisly experiences, but you have the ability to talk about your experiences. So how do we engage with these things with other people? We talk about, we engage with our narratives, we engage with our experiences, and we share them with people. We can't reach out and touch Jesus like Thomas did, but we can appeal to our experiences, which is part of what I was trying to do over the course of Holy Week and sharing my experiences with connection to the divine. It wasn't because I wanted to necessarily get up here and share that and embarrass myself by it, but by sharing it, it says there is a world of experience that we can tap into. By sharing it with each other, we actually start to enliven and empower each other and we suddenly start to realise, hang on, I've had those experiences too. We share that in the world. It's hard, don't get me wrong, because we feel the insecurity of doing it. But that's what we have to appeal to in terms of what we have. So it comes down, in the end I think it, it never comes down to things. That is, it doesn't always come down to cold hard facts and obje objectivity or either or. Experience and narrative can never really be about those things. And I think it comes down to, in a very Anglican way, a both and approach of experience in relationship. So it comes down to being able to say, it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to be uncertain. It's okay to have doubts. We don't mind. It's our job then to have the courage to take someone's hand and put it into our sides and say to them, here, touch and see our life. Know that we are real. 
Know that what we offer you, what offer you is a share in the new creation of the resurrection life given to us by our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. In a sense, it comes down to how we demonstrate to the world our relationship with and experience of Christ in our worship and celebration of God here in this place, but just as importantly, within our everyday lives. It's about living out like the disciples, that new transformed life every day and not just on Sundays. And it's here at this interface of relationship with each other and with Christ that we can say with Thomas, my Lord and my God. And so we come back to bacteria. How do we know that they exist? Because let's face it, these, things, these are things that will require microscopes and other methods to visualise them because we're hardly likely to see them with our naked eyes. The reality is, though, that we all accept that such things do exist and as a former microbiologist, I can vouch for that. And yet even before I completed my degree in microbiology, I knew they existed. Why? Uh, because I had experienced the experiences of scientists before me. I'd interacted with their work. In some respects, in some, sometimes I'd replicated their work in order to understand their experience. I'd seen the relationship of bacterial activity with all sorts of biological systems. And then I worked with microorganisms myself in laboratories and shared what I had learnt with others as they shared what they had learnt with me. So as Thomas believed enough to want to struggle to understand and to probe the story, so we too, just like I did with the body of scientific work, we need to poke and prod and to wonder how this is true. Part of this is a letting, let, letting your imagination go wild and using it to poke and prod into this. We bring our questions and our doubts and we also bring our longing to step into the light and find out that the story is true and that now we've been written into that story. And it's here that we find out what faith is. It's, a know, it's knowing the risen Lord through experience and relationship. That is, we experience him as we experience his reality in and through the body of believers because it's here as the body of believers that we can say, my Lord and my God. Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet come to believe. In the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. That brings our podcast to an end for this week. If there's anything more you'd like to know about the parish, you can always check us out at our website, which is www.eastredlandanglican.com.au. You'll be able to find lots of links there to our Facebook page, to our Vimeo and YouTube channels, and to our Apple Podcast channel. You'll be able to go through the website there and find out any other information you want to know about our service times or baptisms and confirmations and things like that. Um, so check us out there, um, have a look, and if there's anything you need, please don't hesitate to send us an email or give us a call. Um, and we look forward to seeing you again next week. God bless.